0: Hey, folks,
1: and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner. I am the producer of this show, and we have got an episode for you today. We have a fantastic guest for you today, Mike Pacquion. He is a speaking coach and he works with some very high level speakers, many of whom you would be aware of. And today, Ian and Mike have a conversation about public speaking communication and how your number plays a part and your effectiveness or lack of effectiveness. So whether you're speaking to thousands this weekend or you're speaking to the Rotary Club or you're leading a Sunday school or you just want to be a better communicator in the workplace, this show is for you. Hey, don't forget to follow us on social media at Ian Morgan Cron. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Typology Podcast, T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Hey, that's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And now, here is the host of our show, Ian Cron.
2: Mike Pacquiao, welcome to Typology.
3: Ian Cron, thank you.
2: <laughs> a man of few words. <laughs> hey, man, tell people how you ended up in this niche career of being a speeching, a speeching. <laughs> a speeching coach. Oh. Somebody needs <laughs> somebody. <laughs> a speaking coach, which apparently I need.
3: I'm good at speech. Uh, <clears throat> Man, I always loved public speaking. Is meant to be the number one fear. Which, by the way, I don't know how valid any of those studies are because I find it un- <laughs> I find it unlikely that anybody stuck in a den of snakes is just like, well, at least I'm not giving a speech right now. You know what I mean? But <laughs> but uh, it, it is a fear for sure. I just never really had that. I always loved being, or not loved, I always at least enjoyed being in front of the room, sometimes out of annoyance. Uh, I had pretty boring teachers growing up, and I always felt like I could do better than they could, which is interesting to analyze, and we don't have to go down that road, but I I am not that way in regular life, but for some reason speaking, I was always that way.
1: Hmm.
3: I always thought that there was a way of teaching that would be, that could be funny, that can make concepts come alive instead of lecture style. In college, I had a teacher like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, I knew it, I knew it. So I wanted to become a college professor, Uh, went to grad school for it, quickly realized that being a professor had, a lot of it was stuff that I wasn't as into, grading, going to meetings the teaching part I loved, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I mean, I had a total God smiling on me moment where a guy came to one of my classes who, uh, was a, I forget what his position title was, but he basically recruited speakers to come to Nike. And he said, you know, you're a really engaging presenter. We, uh, I need to bring in presenters. You seem like you'd be good at this. But would you want to speak at Nike sometimes? I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seems like something I should do. Right. Uh, <clears throat> Put together a presentation for Nike, and that should be a presentation that you absolutely nailed. But it wasn't for me. It was a it was a B B plus. After that, and and there were reasons for that. But one of them was I just didn't I, I'd never had a venue like that where I had spotlight on me and anybody from Nike can be there. Like Phil Knight's not going to come, but theoretically Phil Knight could have been there. And I started started wondering, what what can you do with speaking? I'd heard of the idea of motivational speakers, but that's like someone who lost a leg and found the will to live anyway, so that's not me. I've had a good life without (laughs) a a whole lot of trials in it, so I never thought I could do anything like that. Found out about this company called Duarte in the the Bay Area, and dude, it was the perfect fit. It was, for that stage of my life, it was, total dream job because it was it was merging the teaching that i always wanted to do now i didn't have to grade anymore now i didn't have to go to administrative meetings i just got to fly all fly all over the world teaching people how to be better presenters and that's better presenters in the story they tell the slides they use the way that they deliver speeches it, it was perfect fit did that for seven years took i think 900 flights is that no no, no 700 flights 900,000 miles, mm. I taught close to 10,000 people, which is crazy, I'm crazy, 10,000 people laughed at my jokes.
2: Uh. <laughs> you're on a roll, but now listen, let me ask yeah. you, let me, let me ask you this. You're an Enneagram nine. Yeah. Right. And, uh, we've had lots of conversations about the peacemaker. Your your you're, being the peacemaker, these people who um, have a, uh, a a deep need to avoid conflict, um, they're people who uh, like to merge with the agenda, the preferences, viewpoints yeah. of other individuals or groups you all like the status quo. You're also the most laid back, easygoing people. You have lots and lots of gifts as a nine. Then obviously like all types, you have limitations. How has being a nine served you in that, in this, in this role?
3: Yeah. I feel like the merging thing has been amazing for it because I can get behind. Well, okay. So like, let's take reading your book. When I first read your book. And there's that page towards the beginning. That's the nine different types. You can describe them in a couple sentences. I'm like, I'm this one, I'm this one, I'm this one. I thought I was all of them except for an eight, which I was like, eh, there's not much eight in me. But I think because I can merge with all those different types, it <clears throat> it helps me to see their world and to be able to give them language that they need to use
2: mm-hmm. to,
3: to see how to better make their point.
2: Right. Yeah. That's really great. I That was my experience with you. And I... You know, you did uh, help me craft really what was the most important message, arguably of my career. If you, Uh you know, uh, that if it if it had gone poorly, (laughs) it would not have helped me. You know, uh, I was speaking to a room of ten thousand people in an arena, and another hundred and thirty thousand plus. Uh, live stream at the same time in different venues around the world. So it 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 was a moment that I had to I had to stick the landing, yeah. as they say. And without your help, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to do it. And you had to get inside the mind and the head of a four, uh, and to to make it land. Now we're going to talk about the speaking or the the communication styles of all nine types, and 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 maybe just to help speak into the anxiety that you mentioned earlier that everybody has about public speaking, and, and how each of those nine types can leverage their gift and some of the things they may want to watch out for, right? In, 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 I think people are going to find that fascinating. Yeah.
1: Yes, I think a lot of people are going to find this episode really meaningful. Yeah. Right? <laughs> because Lots everybody's
2: freaking out about speaking. Totally. Right? Yeah. And every type has a different freak out. Absolutely. All right, before we jump on that, though, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Because this is a podcast and I'm the host. Um <laughs> <laughs>
3: The very in, unique and special host. Yes,
2: exactly. Club. Thank you. Um, what makes a great talk, speech, presentation? Like what? Just in short, like give me a give me a precise answer. What makes a great a great talk?
3: <clears throat> I had a stunning realization on this last year. I gave the greatest speech of my life last summer. I'm flying home. I'm on just such a high, and you know. When you get into your 40s, there aren't that many things that can give you a high. Like, I'm not going to be a pro athlete. I'm not going to go into politics. Well, even if I went into politics, I don't know what gives me a high there. But you know what I mean? Like, there just aren't that many things. And, and a speech is one of them. If you nail a speech, oh, my gosh, that is the greatest feeling. I'm on the flight home. I'm like, gosh, what, what made that so special? And I've realized the greatest gift that you can give to your audience is to be completely present with them. But here's the tricky part. You can only do that if you know your stuff, if you know how to calm yourself down, and you believe that people are rooting for you. Mm -hmm. Probably the people in the room, because very few people are in the room rooting for you to fail, but I mean, that's possible. But certainly, friends, family are rooting for you. Mm. So if you know your stuff, you know how to calm yourself down, you believe that people are rooting for you, that's when you can be present with your audience. Mm. And that is that is the greatest gift that you can give to them. Now, the trouble is, you know, I name those three things listening to that, you, you know, I can picture someone listening to that nodding along like, yeah, OK, know your stuff, know how to call yourself down, believe people are rooting for you. But each of those has like so many different components to it. The psychology hmm. of it, the work that goes into all of those. It is much easier for me to say that than to actually follow through on it. Yeah.
2: Well, you, you actually gave me some, this is just nuggets for everybody, right, regardless of type, but you gave me a couple of really great insights when, when we were, and I had done a lot of public speaking before yeah. you and I worked together, so it's not like I came in out of the cold, right?
3: Right, right, but, right.
2: But you, a couple of things you told me. One was, when you walk on that stage, no matter what, you have to believe your message, and yep. and you you actually have to have And no matter what happens, if in the first 10 seconds, nobody laughs at that first joke, if nobody's connecting, you cannot uh, lose confidence in the talk you're giving. You got to stick to your guns and be confident in the message, regardless of the feedback you're getting from the room. That was one thing. The next thing you did is you said to me, okay, here's what I want you to do. When you're uh, practicing your talk, and that was a revelation to me because I never really practiced talks. You know what I mean. Yeah. And you said nice to, to me, on. "You have to rehearse this thing aloud, over and over and over again." And this was the this was the killer. You told me to rehearse it while music was playing in the background. That's
3: my wow. favorite tip. I
1: love favorite that. Tip. Why should we do that, Mike?
3: Because music. Okay, rehearsing is awkward. Right. I mean, you're speaking out loud in a room. This is something you never do otherwise. You're speaking out loud in a room and you're the only person in the room. Mm-hmm. When do you ever do that? And you're speaking and you don't know the stuff yet. Turning music on, I think, does a couple things. Number one, it um, <clears throat> it takes some of the awkward silence out of the room. Number two, I think I probably suggested higher pace music or, yes. or something that you would use for a running yeah. mix, right? So that like that gets your energy oh, into it so great. that when yeah. you go out on stage, muscle memory, it's like you've programmed yourself to be energetic Rather than what you would otherwise be.
1: What a great idea. I'm going to try that. That is really That's
2: great. I oh, like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And you told me I should probably drink a half a bottle of vodka because I was going to be standing in front of 140,000 <laughs> people and I needed to relax.
1: But you couldn't do that. But I
2: couldn't do that because it wouldn't have been a good outcome. Right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I just, I I love that you remember those things. Uh those are so true. I mean, I, I stand by that. One of the traps that I think people fall into when they're giving a presentation is they're waiting for the audience to lead them. Mm. So mm. the audience will tell me if that joke was good. No, no, no. You need to know that joke was good.
2: Mm.
3: You need to deliver it. Uh, Steve Martin talks about that. If you read his what is that? His memoir, I forget what it's called, A Born Standing Up. He's like, the secret to all of comedy is commitment. mm and that's true for comedy for sure, but that, that's true when you're speaking as well. Yeah. When you, if you walk out on there and you're, well, I, I kind of, okay, so I'm helping a friend with a speech right now. <clears throat> and the, the the, claim that he's making in the talk is that his company has your back. I'm like, Nathan, you have to deliver that so that the audience believes you. Because otherwise it's gonna sound like, uh, I think we might have your back. Mm-hmm. You can't wait for your audience to say, yeah, yeah, we believe you. You have to deliver it as if you know they believe you or know they will believe you.
0: The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources by geography. more info available at dot mm. Well, I believe
2: in Mike Paon. there you go. Thank Speech you. coach extraordinaire. <laughs> Speech coach to the stars or want to be stars. And uh, <laughs> you, you have—I uh, do actually—I know many, many clients of yours uh, whose names will go un, uh, unmentioned. But if, 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 I were I to mention their names, they would be well known to many you, of them. You our, can our mention others. them; it's
3: fine. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, man! Here's, here's so every every yeah. type on the Enneagram—I want to go through types, and I want to talk yeah. about. This whole thing about public speaking and type leveraging their superpowers to succeed—you know—in yeah. in doing presentations because everybody got to do them, right? Um, and 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 just talk about also about this idea that every type has a signature communication style, right? This mm-hmm. is uh, you'll read this throughout enneagram literature, and and how can different types uh, tap into the power of that communication style, and also. Avoid the pitfalls of their communication style, right? Yeah. Because it can go both ways, right? It can definitely go both ways. So, no further ado, let's talk about ones, okay? Yeah. Now, ones are the perfectionists, people who have a need to perfect themselves, others in uh, the world need to be right and need to be good. Their speaking style, often people say it's sermonizing. What I would say is it's Teaching when it's in a when they're in a healthy place, it's teaching. When it's in an unhealthy place, it can devolve into a kind of finger wagging preaching. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? A little finger wagging preaching, you know. Um, so what? Knowing that the 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 you know some of the the gifts of um, of, of the one, uh, namely their honesty, uh, their uh, their principled character. They're um, concerned with ethics, with getting things right. They're detail oriented. What are some of the pitfalls that one can can fall into? Do you think in public speaking?
3: Yeah, gosh. <clears throat> Here's what: so I'm, I'm married to a one. She is great at speaking. So she doesn't. She doesn't fall into this trap much. But m- most ones, my experience, most ones. You know there's that part of a one that wants to go home and change their shirt because they're convinced everybody can see that like itty bitty mustard stain at the very bottom. Right. In a speech, no one can see the mustard stain. Mm. So, like, let me say that another way. Everybody wants to have this perfect script that they walk out to and they feel like you're delivering, you're delivering, you're delivering. You left the line out. It's really easy to think like, oh, shoot, I screwed up the whole speech. I left that line out. Uh, frankly, the audience, unless that was the most important line of the whole thing, it probably didn't matter all that much. Mm. But a one will totally beat themselves up over that.
2: So this is amazing. This is amazing you should say that because I was recently, just yesterday, on Andy Stanley's podcast. And uh, I, so I'm free to tell this story because Andy tells it on the actual podcast. He's a one on the Enneagram. He is. Yes, he is. I have and, wondered uh,
3: about Andy Stanley. Sorry, keep going.
2: So Andy Stanley's the one, and he said to me, I mentioned to him that, about the inner critic that ones have, Yeah. right? And he said, to, he said, he looked at me with these big eyes as if I had been reading his mail, and he said, oh my gosh, I cannot tell you how many times I have woken up at you know, 3 a.m. on Monday morning beating myself to death for one thing I said or didn't say in the sermon the day before. Wow
3: oh man and he's the best there is
2: right and that's what you told me once that you thought that Andy yeah. Stanley is the best public speaker that you've ever seen wow yeah that's amazing and so for the one I guess what I'm hearing you saying is a pitfall can be over focusing on you know uh, the making of a mistake and, and, and thinking to themselves oh my gosh that's, that, that's the ruination of the whole presentation and of course that's a disaster if you tell yourself that in right the middle, at, in yeah. the middle of the presentation Right? Right? Yeah. So they got to dial that back.
3: Homework assignment. I mean, if you want to prove this to yourself once or anybody really, but probably once, go and transcribe the entire Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream speech. Mm. Because it's not perfect. But mm. he doesn't sit there and go, oh, shoot, I was supposed to say da 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 da. Right. Like, yeah, if he had flubbed, I have a dream, sure, that would have been a big problem.
2: Right. So w- what then? Makes up for, or compensates for, you know, the missing little piece here and there in public uh, addresses. Wait, what do you mean? Well, in other words, we're, we're what, what 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 covers the multitude of little sins in a in a in a public talk? Is it enthusiasm? Is it? Oh, you know what I'm saying. Like, what makes up for the the missed the dropped line or the idea that you ah, I wish yeah. I'd said this.
3: Totally, yeah. So, energy is a big one. Energy slash enthusiasm. I think your willingness to be a real person in front of the audience is a mm. huge one.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: One of the things I've found is sometimes I find myself, I mean, listen, I gave three different workshops for seven years. I mean, do you know how many times I said the word slide over seven years? Yeah. Uh, and sometimes I would find myself like, honestly, sometimes I would find myself presenting in front of people who paid a lot of money to bring us in, to bring me in. And I've done this so many times that I'm thinking of like my grocery list that night. And sometimes I would realize, oh shoot, I just rambled. So listen, this is what I love about speaking. It's not like a book where you put the book out there in the world and you have no idea when people were paying attention and when they weren't. You can see the audience. Mm -hmm. You can tell when people are paying attention when you're losing people. So if you find yourself rambling or you felt like you left something out, you can just fix it in a moment. Right. One of the things I find myself saying is, so I feel like I rambled a little bit, but my point is blank.
1: Mm. Wow, that's good. It
3: would be better if I just didn't ramble, for sure. But the great thing is you can just fix that.
2: Right, right. On the spot, on the fly editing is what we call that, right? So, yeah. Okay. So for ones, I would also say this. like, I, I've been thinking about different presenters, different people who speak publicly a lot, right? I think Elizabeth Warren is probably a one. I agree. Uh, you, you get this. Uh, and, and part of the reason is, is that, and Hillary Clinton as well, and what happens is, is they tend to get bogged down in the details. Uh huh. They get down into the weeds of too many details. Like this is why, whatever I hear what do Hillary Clinton and Elizabeth Warren talk about all the time? Policy, mm-hmm. policy in the weeds. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And they miss the big ideas, and they get too far down into the details. And so I, I would tell once, one, one, maybe one suggestion is. Don't go, unless, unless you're you know, giving a, a talk that requires a great deal of detail, but if you're trying to inspire an audience, don't go so far down into the weeds that you lose people in detail, yep. you know?
3: Ones and fives. The amount of detail that you think you need is probably, you should probably cut that by two thirds.
2: Mm. Oh. Mm. All right, let's talk about twos. These are the givers, Cheers. right? The helpers. Yeah. Um, their speaking style uh, typically is called warmth. Right, That that makes all the sense in the world, right? Because they just (laughs) radiate this sort of love and care and uh, generosity and warmth. There's a lot of warmth coming off of it, too. I think when they're unhealthy and they're kind of moving in a bad direction, it devolves into flattery and being ingratiating. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like Mm -hmm. sort of work in the room with love, Mm -hmm. you know, but work in the room. What are some of the things that a two what are like we know that the gifts of the two is communicating warmth and compassion and love and care What are some of the pitfalls or what are the things that twos should keep in mind when they're giving presentations or doing public speaking?
3: Yeah so most speakers what the audience wants is a mix of warmth and authority. Mm. Most speakers most situations Twos have the warmth in spades and twos give away authority rather quickly
2: mm. You mean in two? terms of like giving other people the power to approve or disapprove of them? Is that what you mean?
3: What I mean is a lot of twos would speak with a big smile on their face and they come across really warm and you don't know if they will get the job done. Mm. And they can sound wishy-washy. I think, I mean, I'm not a two, so I don't 100% know this, but if I could jump into the brain of the two, I would have a pretty good guess that if they look out at an audience that's not smiling back at them, which newsflash, that's what a lot of audiences look like. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling that that would crush their self-esteem in the moment.
2: Oh, man, that's oh. a great insight right there. I mean, mm-hmm. I do think that's that could be true in some instances, that a two that was not getting immediate feedback or uh, receiving a signal of appreciation from the audience would start to get a little panicked. Sit down a little yep. bit, yeah. Right? And then they might start, you know, devolving or, or, or moving toward being more ingratiating, being more right, uh, right. effusive, doubling down on strategies in front of the audience that may not work for them, right. Right? may actually yeah. alienate them from the audience. So I love mm, that. So that's good. sort of claiming their ground uh, and maintaining composure and direction, even when the audience isn't appreciative. Is that what I hear yeah. you saying?
3: Yeah, and frankly, sometimes the audience just doesn't look appreciative, but thats I find myself telling people this all the time. And twos especially, what does an audience look like when they are learning something? Mm-hmm. It's not a big smile really on your face, good, yeah. right?
2: Right. Well,
3: and what does it look like to learn something? Right. So, I, I just think that twos very easily can fall into that trap of they're not smiling on me, smiling at me, therefore this whole thing's falling apart.
2: Yeah, and I would also say for twos they have to be careful of uh, being overly emotional. Yeah. Uh, of and risking losing the audience by becoming sentimental.
3: Oh, totally. Yeah.
2: Right. You know, getting sort of, yeah, just sort of pulling on the heartstrings a little too hard, Mm. you know? Uh, So I do think there has to be a blend of authority, uh, quality content, information, and heart. But you can't go so far into the heart that, you know, you're going to leave out a lot of the room. Right.
3: Yeah. I think uh, that's a great insight. Yeah. So heart is good in a talk. Heart blended with data or blended with logic is better.
2: Yes. Mm. So critical thinking and heart have to be in the message for uh, a successful yeah. two doing a talk. Yeah. Right? Awesome. All right. Let's talk about threes for a second. And this may be just a second. You know, I know that you have worked with a lot of threes, a lot of CEOs of companies who are threes. I know threes that you personally, I know threes who you've worked with who are very successful at, uh, in the in the public speaking arena. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, I think threes are natural public speakers. They're charismatic. They're great. We know that their communication style is sales or promotion. They're inspiring. They're visionary. Uh, they, they, they walk into a room and they can read the audience and know who they kind of have to become in order to win that audience, right? They, they, to, to align themselves with the audience, right? They um, uh, are just amazed. They're masterful at it they really are far better than any other number at, at what I've just described now. So that's their superpower in some ways. Yeah. What is, what are some of the things that a three needs to keep in mind when, when they're doing public speaking?
3: Yeah. I mean, I totally, I think it comes most naturally for a three Mm. out of all the numbers. Yep. Three is probably the most natural. There's that great part in the greatest showman. One of my very favorite movies, by the way, PT Barnum is like the classic three, right? Mm. And there's that great part where he's introducing the Swedish Swedish singer. And he, he says something and he's like, I know this might sound like a bit of Barnum humbug, and I'm like, Yes, that that is the risk for a three. Mm. Is that you can turn into someone who's not believable or who feels too slick, you can do that pretty quickly. Mm. You can turn into, I mean, the Fire Festival's an extreme example of that, but you can turn into that quickly. Mm. So especially if you were an executive who is presenting to his or her company you're probably not aware of some of the promises that you're making.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And over a long period of time people hear promise 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 and you know what? It's hard for me to believe that person anymore. So if I were if I were advising a three who was regularly presenting to their team or their company, it, it's like, I would almost have, I would almost recommend an assistant for that person just to keep track of <laughs> like the promises they didn't realize they were saying. Mm. Because that, that builds like weirdly that builds distrust over time.
2: Yeah. Right. Well, I, I also think that, um, you know, you have to engender trust from an audience pretty dang fast. Yeah. Right. And 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 I think the danger sometimes for threes is, for example, is they can pretend to know more than they actually do. Yeah. They uh can uh message, hey, I am authority on this thing, when actually they're not. Mm. They're just really, really good at present you know, a presentation that messages. Right. I'm an authority or I'm an expert on this. I can remember one time uh uh, being in a twelve-step meeting, and a guy who was a three had come into the into the room, and within about two weeks, he sounded like the most. He sounded like like the the authority. Right, right. Everyone was following this guy around like he'd had like been sober for like thirty years, right? right? Yeah. But he had picked up on all the messaging, and he just knew how to present himself in a way that was very charismatic and he sounded like he was more of an wow. authority than he actually was yes right on the topic Right, uh, and that's oh, called, you know that's cutting corners
1: yeah
3: <laughs> that just made me think of something else that threes I see threes doing sometimes is uh, take note of their pronoun use mm. because a lot of times they should be talking about their company or their team or some collective that's not just themselves and they will say I interesting I have to hire blah blah blah. Well, wait, are you in HR? Right. You're not the one doing the hiring. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Take note of their pronoun use. That's another thing to be careful for.
2: Okay, great. Now remember, everybody, as we do this, we're talking about the mostly some of the you know the pitfalls that each type. Potentially faces in in public speaking, so don't don't feel like we're pounding on you here, you know, right? Uh, because every type that we've discussed, when they're in a healthy self-aware place, they're unbelievable, right? Right. Once you know, Gandhi did a pretty good job. There's a famous speech of Gandhi that everybody <laughs> should listen to. I can't remember the name of it now, but you could go online if I could look up Gandhi's most famous speech, and there's a one, right? Mm-hmm. Delivering an amazing speech, and we could go through a list of people. Sure, yeah. Um, That you know, when they're in a good space, man, they're they're incredible communicators. Um, But I think what we're really highlighting is here for for folks who are listening is okay. Here's what you got to watch for.
1: Hey, I hope you enjoyed part one of our two-part series with Mike Pacione. Be sure and tune in next week when we continue to discuss communication and public speaking with regard to your number. Mike and Ian will go through the rest of the Enneagram numbers, and then Mike will close with some tips. So be sure and stick around for that. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. We're grateful that you've joined us here on Typology today. We hope you have a fantastic week. See ya.